Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Bill on Together in Strength. Now here is Pastor Bill. Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you all today. What a winning week it has been. We uh, baptized this morning. That's a real win, and we celebrate that as you did earlier today. The block party we had last week was outstanding. Hundreds of people gathered across the campus, and uh, thanks to Sarah Blankenship, who coordinated that whole event. It was great, great. And um, a great start to Hilltop School. Some of you may not know that we have a school here on campus, Academy, for uh, students, uh, preschool students, and uh, early learning. And it got started with uh, a number of brand new students and families that are connected. So thanks for your support of that for sure. Your board met this week, and I'll just give you a brief update. Uh, Some of you have been asking. uh, The board has looked at 30, approximately 30 different potential individuals who could be uh, presented to you uh, as the lead pastors. They have come in various ways. at this point, the board has not felt a confirmation on anyone that they have uh, been looking at, and so uh, they continue to seek your prayers and support as we've worked through that process. Uh, some of you say, well, Pastor Bill, it's been four months. What are we going to get rid of you and get the right guy? And uh, uh, I just remind you that 13 years ago when you went through this process, it took eight months, and uh, It has taken, uh, as an overseer of 200 churches, we've had some significant churches that have taken a year. So the process is hard work for your your, uh, selected leaders, but we are making progress. There's two things that I think have come out of this. Unity amongst the thinking of the board and that uh, the the search committee. That's that's a real win, because I've been in boardroom meetings where that's not the case. Uh, just saying. And uh, number two, uh, uni- uh, not only unity, but vision. What is God saying to us? And it's exciting to hear how this is solidified amongst the leaders of Portland Christian Center as what God has in store for us in the future. And I'm so grateful for those progresses that have been made. So we rejoice in what God has done. You know, it's kind of a tough week in some ways for us. Uh, Four of my friends uh, were diagnosed with incurable cancer this week, people I know, and uh, two of them from this church, Bill Rasmussen and uh, uh, Norma Shockley, both got really, really bad news from their doctors. Um, We also uh, had a friend of ours pass away from COVID, who's been a friend of ours for many, many years, got sick real bad and just did not, uh, couldn't fight through that horrible disease. And our grandson, who's 10 years old, was climbing a tree and fell out of the tree. Fortunately, he didn't fall on his head, but he did break his arm. And it was such a break that uh, he was in ER for several hours. Finally, they transported him by ambulance from uh, Salem Hospital to Randall's Children's Hospital, where they performed surgery on his arm. And uh, he, um, he now has a cast, a blue cast, 
which is going to make him the most popular student at school for the first uh, few days when he returns in fifth grade. Uh, so uh, there are many funny stories along the, 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 the lines of these painful ones, but uh, the funniest one was when he was in the ER, uh, the nurse was working with him. His mom had to step out to make a phone call and uh, so on. So you get the picture. And he turned to the nurse and said, um, I'd like to get better acquainted with you if you're gonna be working on me. And uh, then he began to quiz her about her life and we're all trying to figure out where in the world did he get that personality from? We have no idea, but uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a delightful, uh, delightful experience. Would you pray with me this morning? One last uh, announcement, one of our dear, dear friends. Now, some of you will know this name and some of you won't because uh, she and her husband have uh, relocated to another city here in the state of Oregon. But uh, Petey Prater, one of our prayer warriors for many years, what I mean by prayer warriors, she could pray and she had a word from God from you. You listened. Uh, she went to be with Jesus this week. And her memorial service is next Friday at 2 p.m., and this information will be on online as well, but 2 p.m. at Faith Church in Dallas, Oregon. Not Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Oregon. And I will have the privilege of uh, uh, doing that service for her in Dallas. Uh, Joy and I have known Petey for 44 years and knew of her before that. She probably had one of the greatest impacts in prayer in this church in its history. So. Um, just to keep in that mind, some of you perhaps don't want to make that drive, and there may be some transportation from the church here, so you can call Cheryl Landis, who is uh, more than happy to give you information about P.D. Prater's service on Friday. Father, thank you for moments like this where your word speaks to us and changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really ramped up about this day because I think this is going to be a breakthrough service. I, I think sometimes we live in the mentality of being a victim when God intends us to be a victor. All of us have been through stuff. Some of us, some bad stuff. Some of us, uh, maybe more recent years, have not been the easiest of your life. But you do not have to live as a victim. You can live as a victor. And I'm gonna share with you something that really has changed the way I look at life on a daily basis from our study in the book of Ephesians because we're talking about in this adventure together, and by the way, Joy and I are loving this adventure together with you. This is not a burden, this is a blessing to us, and so thank you for the opportunity to walk through. 34 years ago was my first sermon as your pastor in this church. And I stood about here, the, the pulpit and platform were a little different. I don't know if you, some of you would remember it, and some of you could care less, but there was a pulpit that was hydraulic and it used to go into the floor right about here. And uh, when, you were, when they thought up in the sound room that you were done preaching, they would push a button and the pulpit would disappear <laughs> and the people would applaud and all that you know, stuff. So. 34 years ago, I preached, uh, the sermon I preached was, what is a pastor? And I'm still trying to figure that out, so I don't know that I had much to say on that day 34 years ago. What is a, what is a pastor? It was my first time to be a lead pastor. I had been, Joy and I had served in many churches for 16 years, but a lead pastor, 34. So it's kind of fun to be here on this day with you. 
I want to talk to you about together in strength. Together in strength. There is something about being together in strength. You don't have to live as a victim. You can live as a victor, and we'll see why. While I was your pastor, I was invited to go to Washington, D.C. to meet with the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And so we went to the uh, Senate dining room, very formal environment. You had to dress a certain way to be in the room. We walked in, there was a delegation of about seven or eight of us with the, the Senate chaplain. We sat down. There was one, only one table in this giant dining room that was probably the size of the sanctuary that had anybody else in it. And it was Senator John, um, John, uh, John, 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 why did his name slip me? Well, he's no longer with us, so I, that's probably why. McCain, sorry, sorry, John McCain. And he had a delegation of people with him. And at his table was the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. I don't know what comes over me when I see things like this. I felt compelled to go over and talk to him. After all, I was throwing newspapers for the Sacramento Bee when he beat Sonny Liston back in the 60s. I was just a little boy, and he became the world champion in boxing. So I felt like I should go over and tell him. So I got up and uh, walked over. Nobody else at the table had any nerve to do this, and I walked over, and he was a giant of a guy. We were probably about the same height, but he obviously worked out, and I didn't. And I said, champ, I'd like to shake your hand. And he stood up and we looked at each other and we shook hands and had a, a brief greeting. Some of you may remember him, Cassius Clay as he was known and then became Muhammad Ali. And he was a championship boxer and he had very quick wit and uh, oftentimes float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, as what he would say. He said, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. And you remember all of that. And the story is told that he got on a jet airplane, sat in first class. The steward came by and said, sir, you, you got to wear your seatbelt. Buckle up, please. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the quick-witted steward said, and Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> so buckle up. There are times when you think you're the greatest and then you realize you're not. There are times when things feel like, I'm Superman, I'm Superwoman, I can do all things, and then you all of a sudden run out of uh, fuel in your spirit and you need help. I don't know if you've noticed, but the day that you and I live in is demanding a great amount of strength. Daily, we're reminded that we can't do this life alone as believers, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need strength beyond ourselves. We've seen the ugly aftermath of evil celebrated yesterday, and throughout this month, we have seen evil show its ugly head once again. We uh, are recognizing that we are in a spiritual warfare. I use that word very carefully because I know it's been a word that's been thrown around and been misused over, over time, but I want to just say to this younger generation, we are in a war spiritually. We are a war in a war spiritually in the city of Portland. We are in a war spiritually 
and we need to be alert to it, and we need to look to see how can we live on the victory side and rather than a victim side. I read from you, uh, for you this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, and here's the words that it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is a time for the church of Jesus Christ to get up, not give up, to step up and not step back. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, something happens that you probably weren't aware of, but your eyes are opened and you begin to realize that there is an enemy of your soul, we call him Slewfoot or Satan, who truly wants to destroy you. You may not have ever noticed that before, you may not even have thought about it before, you may not have even considered it before. All you knew that there were moments when things didn't go so well and you just thought that was the way life was. And uh, now when you come to know Jesus as your personal savior, you realize there is one who wants to deplete you. There is one who wants to destroy you. He wants to attack your health. He wants to attack your family. He wants to attack your future. And some of you have faced some pretty rough things in your life. And now you look back and realize, oh, that was the enemy of my soul, Satan. And as Christians, we realize that we are in in, in, uh, in an invisible war called spiritual warfare. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, and he suggests that there are two serious errors that we can have in life and in our theology and thinking. One is the disbelief that Satan exists. And there are some, even in the church today, and some who stand behind lecterns and pulpits who really dismiss the idea of Satan. I don't know how they do that biblically, but they disbelieve that Satan exists, and that's a mistake. The second one is to overly occupy yourself with Satan and become overwhelmed and fearful of him. And that's another serious mistake. And that's why what Paul says here is so important to us. Jesus warned us that there was a a thief, Satan was a thief, and that he did come to try to kill and steal and destroy from John 10.10. And he loves to get us to be unhealthy. He loves to get us unsettled, unhopeful, unholy. He loves us to think uh, in that way and become gloom and doom believers. And he wants the church to see itself in that way, not victorious, but a victim of the culture of the day. So Paul the Apostle begins to close his letter, and the clue is here, the word finally. Everybody say, finally. Finally. It's what everybody loves when a preacher says, and and finally, I'd like to say this, right? So Paul has laid out what we believe, how we should behave, and now he's coming to the end of this wonderful letter of Ephesians, and he says, finally, finally. So, So we should take note of what he says, because it's kind of like those letters that you, we used to write, love letters, and you would say all this stuff, and then you come to the finally part, and that's what you really wanted to say. Finally, finally. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he goes on to say, put on the full armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
So I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. 12 different nationalities between, on College Street, between Elm Street and Beamer Street. Uh, we lived on College Street, but that did not indicate that everybody who lived on our street went to college. That was just the name of the street. We had the very poor and we had the middle class. And all of us kids, especially the guys, used to play war. And in fact, we felt like we controlled what took place between Elm Street and Beamer Street on College Street. A true city block. We would play uh, war throughout the day with rubber band guns. We took pieces of wood, we put a, a, a clothesline clip on one end and we put a rubber band and we'd shoot them at each other, never hit anybody because we were terrible shots. And then we'd get tired of playing war. It was just a, a game. We'd play basketball or football or something else. That was a make-believe war. But we are not in a make-believe war in the culture that you and I live in. We are in a real war. We are in a spiritual war, and we need to be alert to it. Ephesians is about harmony and unity and togetherness. It's about how to live strong together. And it's about recognizing that together we're stronger than, a, than we are on our own. And here he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the whole armor of God. Now in my 49 years of pastoral ministry, I have recognized that people do have battles. And churches collectively can go through a battle, but individually we can go through battles. This isn't make-believe. This isn't something that we just imagine. This isn't like playing war in my neighborhood as a kid. This is the real thing. And I recognize that in life, we are facing things that are not easy. Struggles, sometimes unemployment, sometimes family conflict, sometimes uncertainty about decisions we've made or living in disappointment because we made the wrong decision. And the enemy tries to distract, divert, and destroy you. We need to be aware of that. We need to know that there is an enemy who's out to get us and how do we deal with that? These things are real. July the 3rd, 1999, I stood right here, and it was a very emotional day for me because down the aisle came two young people who I deeply, deeply loved. Phil Wilson, our son, and Janelle Sharon, who he was going to marry. They met here in this church. They hated each other when they met each other. It was quite a romance initially, but after Phil went away to college, they came back, and on July the 3rd, they walked down the aisle. I shouldn't use the word hate. They disliked. That's a better word. Uh, they came down the aisle, and they got married here. Now, Phil had suffered from petite seizures for 10 years, and we could never figure out why he took medication. We didn't realize that they were becoming more pronounced. They got married, they went on their honeymoon, they came back, he went to a neurologist, they took another test, and they discovered that Phil had a slow-growing tumor in his brain. That meant his driver's license was going to be taken away. And I will never forget that journey right after he got married, a new husband, and how all of the things that he expected he would do as a husband was taken away from him in that moment. I will never forget what took place. And I'll never forget what Paul says here, and I don't want you to forget it. 
because it came alive to me in that time. Be strong in the Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 11, take your stand against the devil's schemes. He will use whatever he can. Sometimes it's internal, internal uh, battles, internal levels, where you're de- dealing with pride or greed or, or temptation or depression or worry, and the battle goes on. I have been there. Many of you have as well. Sometimes it's external battles, things that are outside that come your way. These are battles that come from from maybe cultural trends or maybe a conflict at work or an unethical business practice that you have, have been challenged to or tempted to. Maybe it's substance abuse or even crime or even attending a dead church can be an external level that just is very, very difficult. And some of you here this morning are struggling with a battle in your life. And I'm here to tell you before this morning's over, you can have the victory. You can have a breakthrough. I know there are times when we don't feel like we're winning, but I want you to know there are times when in the midst of conflict and battle, the words that Paul speaks here should come back to our spirit and resonate in our heart. Be strong, the Lord. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the first thing is I want you to be alert, alert to the reality of spiritual battles. The second thing I'd like to share with you this morning is be aware of your resources in spiritual battle. Be aware of your spiritual resources. So we know that a battle's going on, so how do we become a, a victor and not a victim? Look at what he says in verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Everybody with me? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So he says, there is the reality of spiritual battle, but there is also resources that will help you be a victim, or victor, I should say, than a victim. He says, you'll be able to stand your ground. That's victory. The Bible is full of individuals, stories of individuals who have found strength in the Lord and done amazing things in the most difficult of circumstances. Moses, as I mention their names, you may remember a biblical story. Joshua, Caleb, Samson, David, Daniel, Peter, John, and a host of early believers who were all faced with challenges and had remarkable strength and you wonder how could they do such a thing? How could they get through that battle in their lives? Look again at verse um, 613, therefore put on the full armor of God. Exodus 15, two, these are the words of Moses who was in a battle. He says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. How many times in the midnight hour when we've been on the ragged edge of life and stuff have been coming to us and we're rehearsing it in our mind and as we rehearse it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The giant seems to grow from 10 feet tall to 20 feet tall. The burden becomes heavier and heavier that we're reminded the Lord is my strength and my 
defense. When it would be easier to step back, you can step forward. When it would be easier to step away, you can step into this and know that God will give you his strength. Now, Paul had been arrested. He'd been in Ephesus for three years, 36 months. He had helped establish the church. He'd come back to Rome. He seemed to be a threat. Here's a guy that was a threat to the Christian faith. He has an encounter with God, totally changes him around, changes his life. Now he is arrested. He's put under house arrest, and he is guarded daily by a group of Roman soldiers, the most powerful soldiers in the world in that time of history. And every day they would come. Can you imagine being chained up to Paul every day? As Paul would share the power of God, I wonder how many soldiers actually turned their hearts to Jesus during that time. I wonder how many of the Al-Qaeda or the Taliban will come to know Jesus because in the midst of trying to take out the church of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan, they will come in contact with a mighty warrior of Jesus who will lead them to the Lord. I believe that's going to happen. I believe the church will resurrect there in a powerful way. And as he's there, Paul is inspired to write to the church in Ephesus about the potential of battle and how to be alert to it and how to be equipped for it. And he looks at the Roman soldier and he sees how the Roman soldier is uh, equipped and he uses that as an analogy, a picture for us to understand. And I'm going to share with you I'm going to share with you six very important truths that will help you become a victor, not a victim. You got that? Everybody say victor, victor. not a victim. He says in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fit, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Some versions say the shoes of peace. In addition, he says to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming dart arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Wow. Wow. Listen, God doesn't want you to make bad choices. God doesn't want you to mess up your life. He doesn't want you to uh, casually go through life with a flippant attitude about being a follower. He doesn't want you to live a dysfunctional life. But Satan does. Satan wants you to be a hit and miss believer occasionally show up, occasionally be engaged. He wants you to live miserably the rest of your life. He wants you to question your identity, your happiness, your choices. He wants you to live in defeat. He wants your marriage, if you're married, to be wrecked. He wants you, if you're not married, to think poorly of yourself. He wants you to be thinking that you're a terrible parent. He wants you, or he wants you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. 
He wants you to be prideful. He wants you to be a sociopath. He, he wants you to be uh, so unclear about who you are and what you can do that you overcompensate by trying to be something that you're not. That's what he wants. And yet Paul says there's a way to face life in the spirit, in the spiritual battle. So he lists six particular pieces of the Roman armor. So I brought my little buddy here today as an illustration, and I will point to the points. The first one is the belt of truth. He says, put on the belt of truth. That belt of truth holds everything together right here. For a Roman soldier, he often wore a longer, uh, what we would almost say like a skirt. For him to move quickly, that, that could trip him up. And so he put a, a belt around. What is the truth that you're to put on? It's Jesus Christ. He's the truth. And when you have Jesus Christ in your life and you put him on in your life, he holds everything together. That's the truth of this. Paul is saying, using the picture of a Roman soldier, he's saying that that belt of Jesus Christ around your life will hold everything together. Have you found that to be true? In the midst of those moments, Jesus becomes our truth. And people who are living a lie don't have that truth. But when you know the truth, the truth does what? It sets you free. It helps you to keep things together. The second piece that he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is key because the breastplate protects the very important organs of the heart and the lungs in the physical. In the spiritual, it represents protecting your soul, the very person you are, the soul. And the key word here is righteousness, having a right relationship with the Lord. It is that which protects who we are and the decisions that we make because our decisions are uh, part of our soul is our mind, but really it's in our heart. What's in your heart? I have the heart to do something. It affects the way that I think, the breastplate of righteousness. He said, put on righteousness. Then he said, the shoes of peace, the shoes of peace. For the Roman soldier, this is very important because a lot of soldiers in that time did not have shoes, proper shoes. But they were fitted with the proper shoes of peace that gave them mobility and protection as well. And Jesus becomes our footing and our comfort. And in the midst of storms and life, in the midst of the attack of who I am and my personal identity, I stand in strong strength because I have the shoes of peace. And I also know that when I walk into a room, I bring peace with me. When I walk into the house, I bring peace with me, not disruption. When I walk into the store, I walk into my business, when I walk into a conversation, I have put the shoes of peace on in Christ, and he is the wonderful Prince of Peace who's a part of my life. Then I have the shield of faith. The movement of the shield allows protection for the army person or the military person or soldier from dangerous darts and arrows of the day for the assurance and faith knowing that God will take care of us. So when the attack comes out of nowhere, we're right there with faith, 
faith gets us through. And then the helmet of salvation. I like this one probably the best. That helmet. In the Roman helmet, they had uh, uh, pieces similar to what you see in, in Major League Baseball now where they have protections around the cheek and jaw area for protection. The Roman soldier was the best equipped in the world. And he had protection around his, uh, his head. It was a bronze helmet and equipped with cheek pieces and protection. And God transforms our thinking. Here's how I see it. When I put on the helmet of salvation, my thinking changes. I have a new mind. When I put on the helmet of salvation, God gives me insight to things that I don't know what to do in troubled times and how to respond. He actually gives me creative thought. He gives me a new way of thinking. He gives me a thought pattern that perhaps was different than I had before. Some of us allow our imaginations and our thoughts to go to places that they shouldn't go. And uh, God brings clarity and confidence and helps me to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even in the midst of cancer or death, I can still think clearly because I have the helmet of salvation. I am an honest, honorable person in my thinking. I don't give way to the thoughts of cheating somebody or stealing from somebody or being disrespectful to somebody. I can think clearly be helpful and hopeful, and I have compelling grace that comes in the way I think. You see how this is important to the church today in this council culture. And finally, the sword. Now, the thing that was different about the Roman sword, it was double-edged. All other military uh, people at that time only had a one-edged sword, which meant there was only one edge that really cut. But the thing that made the Roman soldiers so powerful is they could come both ways. And isn't it interesting that the Bible is referred to as a double-edged sword? The double-edged sword. And so he tells us, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now here, listen to me very carefully. In the midnight hour or at high noon, whatever you are dealing with. It's the word of God that's gonna get you through. It's the double-edged sword. This is why, listen, if you're under 40 years old, I wanna encourage you to actually buy a Bible. Get a real Bible like this. Now I know you have a Bible on your uh, tablet and I have one as well and I read it. I listen to the, the wonderful English guy re read the scripture for me. Oh, he's brilliant. He pronounces words that I didn't know how to pronounce. He is just amazing. I, I, I put him on and it just, I'm inspired how his cadence in his reading. Have you heard him as well? Any version you have, uh, the, the, the spoken word is powerful. But get a Bible and underline it and begin to hide it in your heart because it's the sword of the spirit that is your protection. It's the only offensive weapon in all of this that's been mentioned. And when something comes my way, I should be asking myself, what does the word say? What does the word of God say? Hebrews 4.12, you can put it in your notes today. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So be, be alert to the reality of spiritual warfare and battles. 
be aware of the resources that you have here in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, here's what I do personally. You don't have to do this. I have made it a habit for 36 years to pray through the, these uh, pieces of the armor and ask God every day, help me, to, help me to put on the belt of truth. Help me to walk in truth. Help me to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to live a righteous life today, to stand against the enemy's att attacks. Help me to put on the shoes of peace. I can, I can mess up things as easy as you can. I can say bad words and at the wrong time. I can, I, can, I can enter into a conversation and it doesn't end well. I have all of that capacity, but Lord, help me to have a righteous heart today. Help me to have the helmet of salvation on. Help me to think clearly. Help, me, help my thoughts to be pure. Help me to have a creative idea when I'm in a, a time of making a major decision. Help me, Lord, to have the shield of faith. Help me not to be discouraged by what comes my way, but help me to be a man of faith. And help me to have the sword of the Spirit. Help me to remember what you have said in your word, the promises you have made, the hundreds of promises you've made to me, the, the, the assurance of who you are, and that I can count on you. And that is the resources that I can have. And you remember when you're, you'd go outside and it was bitterly cold? What did your mom always say to you? Before you go, take your coat. Take your coat. We went to Montana to visit our grandkids. It's snowing. Am I, how does my grandson go to high school? With shorts on and a t-shirt. I'm thinking to myself, Man, what if you get caught out there in the road and you get a storm comes your way like it is? You, you need to have a coat on. And you can be assured that Joy said it more than once. Get your coat on. Your mother says, get your coat on. God says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand. Thirdly, I would just say this. Be active in your response to spiritual battles so that when the day of evil comes, it's here, times faced with trial and temptation, you will be able to stand your ground. And you, and after you've done everything, to stand. That's how you become a victor. In uh, 2020, world, uh, World's Strongest Man was postponed. I was so disappointed because I'd been working so hard on that. Uh, was postponed because of COVID-19, so they had to move it to November uh, 2020. And so the competition took place in Florida, and the winner was a Ukrainian young man by the name of Oletsky Novakova. Uh, it was only his second time to compete. Uh, Novakova, 24 years old, six foot one, weighs 298 pounds. And he lifted, he broke my record, he lifted 1,185 pounds, 18 inches off the ground. And that beats the previous record that was set in 1983, so a long time. So the question was, what are you thinking when you go out there? And this is what Novakova said. When I walk in, I think, hmm, it's not heavy, it's no problem. 
It's not heavy. It's no problem. That's exactly how I felt when I lifted 10,000 pounds. Uh, but it's not heavy. That's how I felt when I came this morning. Hmm. This is not challenging. This is God's work. These are God's people. This is God's word. We can do this, Lord. Church, this culture has been canceled for many years. Portland just didn't wake up one day and start a riot. It's been going on for decades. The Church of Jesus Christ can stand its ground. You in your circumstances can stand your ground. There are better days because the church will rise up. It will not be defeated. So don't just believe in Jesus. Trust in him with all your heart. Don't just think the battle is physical. Realize that the battle is spiritual. Don't just read the Bible. Let it guide you to live. And don't just come to church. Stand your ground and be the church where God plants you with the full armor of God. You remember the famous story that a couple of years ago, Joy and I were actually at the place where this took place in the Bible, where a young shepherd boy was sent by his dad to check on his brothers of the, in, the, in the army of Israel who were faced against the Philistines. And there was a standoff. And every day in the morning and every day at night, a nine-foot man with a armor that weighed 125 pounds would walk out and curse the God of Israel and challenge Israel to send out one warrior to fight him. And whoever would win in that single battle would take the battle. Day after day. So little David, who's about 15 years old, shows up with some food for his brothers and he hears this guy cursing God. And he says, how in the world can you sit here and, and listen to that? He's cursing our God. That Philistine, his brother got upset with him, said, David, why don't you go back to the ranch and take care of the sheep? Saul heard him say what he said, the king, and said, hey, who is this young man? Where is he from? So he said, I'll go out there. 15-year-old kid said, I'll go out there. And this is what he, he said to, to um, Goliath when he faced him. In his conversation with Goliath, he says, and those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. There are moments in life when battles bring us to the ragged edge, and we have to know that God is on our side. And that's how we felt. As we said in that room at Good Samaritan, and Phil, and some of you went through this with us, some of you were even at the hospital when Phil had to have brain surgery. The Lord seemed to give us that deep, settled peace that the battle was his. And weeks after a, a diagnosis of a brain tumor, he had major surgery. We decided we'd stand on the word of God, we'd stand strong, and we'd believe God. We were not gonna surrender to fear or anxiety or frustration or failure. We believed God would see us through. And you know what? A few hours later, we went in to check on Phil after surgery. He wanted to know who won the basketball game between the Blazers and the LA Lakers that night. We weren't worried about a basketball game, we were worried about him. Paul, Phil came through that surgery. 
22 years later today, Phil hosts the online church in Kalispell, Montana. He's married to Janelle, of course. They've had three kids. That's a recent picture of us. He's run the New York Marathon. And he's an incredible guy. And every time I see that scar on his head, I think the battle belonged to the Lord. And we were not defeated. That scar is a testimony of God's healing power. So finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my battles. 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 Oh, this is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my This is how I find my battles. 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 Oh, this is how I find my battles. 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 Amen, amen. Hey, let's pray together, shall we? Some of you have come with battles this morning. We have given you something from God's word, and this is how we're going to fight it. Amen. We're going to have the victory. You're not going to be a victim anymore. Would your head, with your heads bowed, would you pray with me this morning? Would you allow your battle to be given to the Lord? Would you surrender your life to Jesus? And here's how you pray the prayer. I'll lead it, you just follow, make it your own. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you. I'm tired of being a victim. I will follow you in victory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout this morning, hallelujah.
If you'd like to talk to someone or pray with somebody, some of our leaders will be here in the front at the conclusion this morning. Feel free to come down. Tell somebody that you prayed that prayer today. Let's go out of this place remembering. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace in your coming and going. May you know when you walk through these doors, you don't go by yourself. He goes with you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.